Hello and welcome to Supervision Smorgasbord, a podcast full of tips, tricks, and interviews with experts to help you enjoy being a supervisor. Here's your host, Dr. Tara Sanderson. All right, welcome everybody. Thank you for joining us today. Today we're gonna be talking with Casey Compton and I gathered some info from your website to give a little bio, but if you wanna expand on it, you totally can. Uh, Casey Compton is a licensed counselor, entrepreneur and author of Fix This Next for Healthcare. And I spied that you've got a new book coming out in 2024. And as I read the, the information on that, I was sitting there feeling like, oh my gosh, she is writing about all of us women who are trying to do this really hard thing, um, yeah. being entrepreneurs and being business owners. Oh, I cannot wait for that book. Um, she is also the owner of Mindsight Partners and is known for her her systemizer school throughout our clinician kind of industry. Everywhere I go, somebody is talking about systemizer school or talking about how you helped them navigate something that they weren't quite aware was a bottleneck problem. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just, I'm so excited to have you here and to share with us about internship and, and how we can um, think about what we're creating before we create it, um, or for those folks who are have already created it, how we can help the how we can help them figure out ways to to navigate it. So mm-hmm. as I start my interviews, I always like to ask one random question just to get started. So my random question for you is: If you could spend a year in any country, which would you choose? Portugal, for sure. Like no hesitation, Portugal. No, no. Uh-uh. Why Portugal? You know, I, I just have this um, affinity for it. I I don't know if it's the wine. I don't know if it's the water, uh, the culture, the people. It just seems like a place where I'm supposed to be. Mm. That sounds we'll fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> sounds like a plan. Let's just book it and call it a day. <laughs> so as we were getting started, um, right before we, we started taping, I mentioned that I feel like there's two ways that people decide to become a supervisor. One is that they have a student kind of randomly call them out of the blue and say, oh my gosh, I need this. You're perfect for it. Here's how I can benefit you. Please, please, please. And, you know, the, the person decides like, yeah, I, I want to help this person out. Or they kind of get this rumbling in them of like, I've had really terrible supervisors or I've had really good supervisors and now I'm ready to give back in some way. I would say that sometimes I hear from people that they're ready to like branch out into a new part of their business or they're trying to diversify income, but that's kind of a smaller subgroup. It usually comes in one of those other kind of fashions. And from what I learned in Fix This Next is... That is not the best way necessarily to make business decisions. (laughs) Tell me what you hear when I say that those are the ways that people start their supervision part of their practice. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that that seems to be the the two core um, reasons that people end up providing supervision. And I do think that it, it also, I do think that people get an itch and, um, want to move into more of an entrepreneur place um, and supervision feels like a less risky 
um, or like a stepping stone uh, just to kind of test the waters and you still have that autonomy and you have control just like, you know, a business owner does. Um, but, you know, you're not necessarily out here creating S corporations and, you know, doing all of those things. So I think that that's part of it. And, I, you know, for me personally, I've, I was a supervisor for, I'm still a supervisor. I don't supervise anyone at the moment. Um, but I think there's a lot of us, a lot of therapists, psychologists, counselors, whatever you want to call yourself out there who just are, are teachers at heart. And, and that was me. I was in education for, I don't know, before I was a therapist. And I think that that side easily comes out of me and my team sees it. And, you know, that systemizer school, you know, like it's, <laughs> it's just part of me. And so I think that there are some of us who feel the need to um, teach and yeah. that's, that's how we get that need met. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there is something beautiful about that because our industry requires us to be under supervision for a long time because so much of what we do has to be taught by doing. We can't learn mm -hmm. all of this in the classroom. We have to try it. We have to get feedback on it and move in that direction. What are some of the things that you think people need to be thinking about if they're getting ready to branch into uh, having supervision be a part of their practice? Yeah, I, I think accountability, you know, account how you're going to set up that accountability, not just for your supervisees, but for yourself. And what are the systems that are going to, I think sometimes people think that systems are only for like big businesses or big things. And we neglect that systems are really the most important on a foundational level. So bringing um, supervision as a, as a part of, of your business, I think needs to really be thought of in terms of systems. So for example, like we are past the point of emailing each other back and forth. Well, what day works for you? Well, what about three o'clock? Well, how about two? You know, like all of that back and forth, cut that out and use something like Calendly or some kind of scheduling feature that's automatic that your supervisees can just click a link, pick the time, set up the reoccurring appointment. Be Same done way with, with it. Yeah, not think about there's so many things that we think about that we don't need to think about. And scheduling is one of them. Also payment. Um, you know, I do a lot of consulting and up until I started doing consulting, which was started in 2017, I never it never even occurred to me to have people prepay for services. And, but as a consultant, everyone prepays for working with me. They pay before the call. They don't pay after. And so, you know, thinking about how you're going to set up that payment system for your supervisees, is it going to be auto-drafted? Highly recommend. <laughs> um, you know, a reoccurring charge coming out. How are you going to set all of that up? Your, your systems of um, like your contracts, your paperwork, your grievance policies. Those, those are the things as much as I see in people who have their own practices that, that have problems. They all fall back to that, that infrastructure. And so I think as a supervisor, bringing on supervisees, we have to think about how that's going to go automated hopefully mm -hmm. um there's a system that i've that i particularly like it's called dubsado and it's all automated which they have um, a scheduling feature 
They have um, all of your contracts so that your supervisees can sign. Um, they have a portal which keeps everything in where they can access. And they have um, integration with PayPal and Stripe so they can pay. Nice. So like looking at a platform that can handle all of that for you, because like you, you said earlier, you're going to be busy working, like yeah. actually supervising and signing notes and reading notes. So you don't want to spend all of your time on the the little things like this that are going to really drain you and lead you to burnout. Absolutely. And I think that that is, it's a, it's a powerful piece that when you're in, especially when you're in private practice for yourself and it's just been you this whole time, you think to yourself, do I really need a manual? Do I really need all of this stuff? And the answer of course is yes. Like, yes, of course you need all of those things. You need to have a way that you um, navigate your business and, and that you do that consistently. One of the things I tell people in a, in a course that I teach on how to start their private practice is a part of the reason for the manual is if someone else had to take over for you, they would know what to do. But also another reason for the manual is because then if something goes wrong and somebody asks, well, why do I have to do it this way? You can say, well, that's the policy. Mm-hmm. And how many people question the policy? Nobody. Everybody right. looks at that. And they're like, oh, you're a business. Of course you have a policy on that. Uh-huh you should have a policy on why you charge for later no-show fees or why you do cancellations after 10 minutes. Well, because that's what I wrote the policy to be. So that's what we're doing. And I'm going right. to hold to that policy that helps you legally to hold, to stand your ground. And it holds you, you know, um, as a professional in the industry. And once you start adding people to your world, whether that's external supervisees where they have their own practice or whatever, and you're just supervising part of what they do, or you're bringing them in house, You need to have something that really kind of gives that structure for them to be able to succeed. Yeah, it's, it's, that's exactly what I talk about all the time. It's the thing that nobody wants to do, but everyone needs to do. And Mm -hmm. it reminds me a lot of uh, families with, and specifically children. Imagine there were no hard rules in the family. I mean, you know, in my kids, gosh, you know, we've got some hard, like, things you don't do. Like, you don't eat or drink on the couch, period. You don't call each other stupid. We don't call each other names. Like, that is a no-no in my house. Um, lying. We do not do that in my house. Those are hard rules. Yeah. And it, you just imagine having a household that had no family rules, how chaotic and stressful. And every time the, I mean, gosh, can you imagine the discipline you would have to do all the time? Um, Same way with your business, even doing supervision, it's, it's a policy. And I think people respect you more as a supervisor, as a business owner, if you have those policies. And then whenever, you know, there's all of these needs that come to you. It doesn't take a lot of mental energy because like you said, it's the policy. It's not something I have to sit and think about every single time. This is, I've already decided this for a reason. Mm -hmm. So so much um, energy in the future. Yeah. And I know that when people start something, they get so excited about the beginning, right? So a supervisee mm-hmm. comes on board or or you get the, all this fun energy from like, yay, I'm doing something different and new, that they absolutely don't want to sit down and say, okay, well, let me write a policy on this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or how I want to do this or, or those pieces. Um, and, it, and it is so important to, to make sure we're taking those mental notes and, and 
and doing the work part of it. One of the tips that I give people is in whenever I get an email from a supervisee, I have on in, in Google, you can have little note tasks and stuff on the side. Uh, whenever I get a question from a supervisee, I answer it, but I copy and paste that whole thing into my FAQ kind of document on the side. And once a week, I take all of those things and make sure I update any policies with that if that was missing or make sure I give links to those policies and, and do a reminder email to everyone. Because if one person's asking, there are three people behind the scenes that are not asking. And it's yeah. important that we make sure we get that information all the way back out and around. And making that system in my own mind has helped decrease over time the amount of questions that come up via email from people oh, yeah. answering the same question five times. Mm-hmm. I only have to answer it once because I realize, oh, that's an area that somebody, that there's a hole in my mm-hmm. giving of knowledge or in my policies or something. Let's fix the hole with the scheduled mm-hmm. time I've put together to do that and put it back out so that that hole is now plugged and I can move on. Right. One of the things that we do that's that's been helpful in um, answering, you know, because you do, you get multiple supervisees or multiple employees and then you have the same question just keeps coming up and coming up. So we have our policy and procedures all um, are housed in Google Docs and with a nice little table of contents with hyperlinks and all the things. And then in our email, in our G Suite, we have canned emails that say, basically, um, thank you for your question. This is in reference to policy, blah, 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 with a hyperlink. Um, And it actually, so if we get an email with a question that we know is in the policy, we just drop down in the canned email and respond. And all they have to do is just click on that policy and read it. And I've learned that if you make people work harder, um, to find or learn an answer rather than, cause I, I, I was guilty of that. I would just try to just, you know, answer their question and whatever. Um, but I was, uh, reinforcing that behavior I've realized. And so if I had to make them work for it a little bit, um, they stopped asking me and they just went directly to the source. And yeah. so I think that that helps a lot too. Yeah, that is huge. I love the idea of using those canned emails as a response that just links right back to the policy manual and mm-hmm. gives them those those pieces that paired with that element of, okay, if I, if it, if I really don't have a policy on it, like I, mm-hmm. I obviously need to write one and get that clear. Yeah. But if I already know it's in there, having that canned response where it takes me three clicks to get them to do the work, to read it themselves versus I have to write this every time or, or try and like, remember where the hyperlink is to get that to them. Like that is a wonderful, that's a wonderful tool. It it like dissipates some of that bottleneck, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. When you think about like the, the time necessary to do supervision, um, do you have like a, an internal, um, gut reaction to how much time it takes to supervise one person? Now, <laughs> because, because, you know, I've supervised a lot of people and some people are like, I mean, it's a lot like clients, you know, you have some that it, they're easier for you to supervise. Sure. They, they have fewer needs and um, it doesn't require as much time. And then you have some that, that consume quite a bit of your time. Yeah. Um, so I think probably my answer would be more time than you think. Yes. <laughs> but, um, but I think you can, you can, 
you compare that down with the systems for being a supervisor. And if you can cut out a lot of the unnecessary, you can spend more of your time focusing on the actual supervision and your supervisee. Um, that's just my experience. Absolutely. No, I would fully agree. I tend to tell people that, you know, it's <laughs> the initial um, looking at it feels like when they try and talk you into doing Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts, they're like, it's just one hour a week. Like that's uh-huh. all you need. Right. But it's yeah. never just one hour a week. And anybody out there who's done anything in Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts or church camp or whatever is mm-hmm. knows what I'm talking about when somebody talked mm-hmm. you into this. And yet here we are uh, because yeah. it's it's the time in face to face, but it's also the time all the way in between, whether it is those kind of random questions that come up or all the notes you have to read or watching videos or crisis that happens because supervisees, you know, are experiencing new things all the time. And, mm-hmm. and there is a point where you do have to walk them through some of those pieces or help them navigate their own internal distress when mm-hmm. something really hard happens. I like to think about supervision as being kind of a Um, like a dynamic curve, right? So you have a lot in the beginning where you're kind of bringing them all up to speed. You have a season where they're kind of like getting it and running through all the pieces. You've got those little mini bits of crisis that come up over time as they have those new experiences. And then you're trying to round things out at the end to get ready to have them launch or do whatever it is that they're going to do. And I think that that curve matches no matter where they're at, whether it's a student supervisee and just coming on board or somebody who's finishing up their hours towards licensure, because there's just, there's, there's always things to have to navigate and do with them. And you're right. I think some people lot, you know, don't have as much of that fluctuation and some people have a lot of fluctuation and it is really important as we're interviewing with them and thinking about how much time we have to give and how much money this is going to cost our company you know, to, to navigate those pieces, whether it's a paid supervision hour or an unpaid supervision hour, it's still going to cost you money to be doing this work. Right. That's exactly what I was going to emphasize there is it, whether you are doing supervision as a, you know, if you're an employee for a practice and you are doing supervision on the side, Uh, for yourself, or if you are incorporating that into your own private practice or into your own, it doesn't matter. You have to look at it like a business. And um, one of the biggest misconceptions that people make, and I know a lot, a lot of times we've had therapists that work for my group practice and, you know, they'll come to me and say, Hey, I I know our reimbursement is a hundred dollars, and you're paying me 60, um, but I want to make like 90. And, and so as I talk to them about that, they really don't know that um, you can't run a business off of a 10% profit margin. And that 10% that I would be left with as the business would not justify, um, it just wouldn't work. And so a lot of times they think, well, I'll just make more money if I do it on my own. Oh, you might collect more money up front. Um, yeah, you'll get the hundred, but think about all of your time and um, the taxes you're going to pay on that. And and so I think one of the things that's important to think about as a supervisor, any kind of business owner is really determining what your time is worth. 
Mm -hmm. and what you feel like your time is worth. Because if you start calculating up all of your time that you spend, um, not face-to-face with a supervisee, and start to run numbers that way, like answering phone calls, emails, all of those things, figuring out like what you're actually getting paid versus what you think your time is worth is a, is a good litmus test for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think about that, that idea of, you know, tracking everything you do during the week, like how many phone mm-hmm. calls you responded to, how much time did you spend on the phone with insurance? Or if you don't take insurance, how much time did you spend trying to market and do your social media or do whatever things and really mm-hmm. calculate out like this is how much time I spent on my business this week. And yeah. this is how much I got paid for face to face services or supervision or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And this was all the stuff that that payment has to cover. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that 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 math is so important for people to know whether or not something's really worth doing in their business, whether it's intrinsically worth it or not, is not the same question as, is it financially worth it? Right. Yeah. And if they're charging enough, I mean, sometimes people are just undercharging Mm -hmm. and it's what we do is we set our prices based on, well, what's everybody else charging, but everyone else's overhead and everyone else's expenses are different from ours. And so, like you said, if you, if you set those rates based on what everyone else is charging, but your costs are more, or it takes you longer, or maybe you put in more time administratively than other supervisors, it, it might not be worth it. And, and it might be something not necessarily that you don't supervise anymore, but maybe you just adjust your pricing or mm-hmm. you um, pare down some of your overhead and yeah. use systems instead of um, time. Yeah. Yeah. If, if it's not going to fit because your pricing doesn't work and you don't want to charge more, you have to figure out where that money is coming from elsewhere. Um, One of the biggest tips I think I ever got was from uh, Tiffany McLean, a therapist out in California. Um, I think she does lean in, make bank. Um, Mm. But uh, one of the tips that she gave at the very beginning of getting to know her was uh, that setting your fees is just math. Mm-hmm. And if we can take the emotional connection out of it, if we can take the comparison out of it, if we can just do the math of this is what I need for my personal life, this is what I need for my business, these are the dreams of things that I want, and add those all up and do the division, like, you get a number of what you need to charge for your hours. And yeah. and if, the, if if you just follow the math and, and stop having that emotional connection to it, it really just makes things a lot simpler for, mm-hmm. for can I do this new branch or can I do this thing. Yeah, I love that. Um, one of my mentors, and she actually edited Fix This Next, um, the book that I wrote for me, and she has her own book now, How to Write a Must Read. So anyone mm. that's listening that wants to write a book, uh, you should definitely read her book. It's amazing, and she's amazing. But in the book, uh, she she says this all the time too, but she says, writing a book is just math. And <laughs> And at first when she said that, I was like, eh, I don't know about that, but it, it really is. It's, uh, it's word count. It's, it's words. And, um, and the more that I thought about it and then hearing you say that, I think pretty much everything is just math when you, when you boil down and in the foundational level, at the very foundational level of our business, no matter how big or how small, the number one vital need that you have 
as a business owner, as the business, is your lifestyle congruence, which is exactly what you just described right there. You have to know the numbers. You have to know how much money you need to live on to support your family and your lifestyle. And then you just reverse engineer to see how much you need to work, how much you need to charge. And, but a lot of times I've learned that people go into it the other way. They, they try to set their pricing and what they want to charge. And then they try to figure out how to fit their lifestyle into that. But really shouldn't your lifestyle come first? Like, shouldn't we set everything else up around that? And so that is the number one vital need that you have to meet before you can even consider anything else in a, in a business is how much money do you need to have to have a lifestyle that you want to live? Yeah. Thinking of that, starting to think of our world in more of a balance rather than in a like, too much in one way or another, right? When people ask me about like, should I go ahead and and say yes to this student? Or should I go ahead and add this into my world? One of my first questions is is like, well, how much, you know, is this going to impact your income? Are you taking money for this? Is it going to replace a service, whatever? Mm -hmm. How much time do you have to be able to do this? And is this a space where you are are wanting to grow? And if if those things are not all yeses, then the answer is no, like get out, send them to somebody else is another supervisor. You're not the only one. Um, But if they're yeses of like, yeah, I have the time. I am not too crushed by all the other things. Like, yes, this is going to bring income or this is going to replace income or I have extra income that I'm just wanting to give away for this service, you know, for this thing. This is going to be my donation to the world. Great. And this is an area I want to grow. Awesome. Then, you know, yes, let's build the, let's build the foundation for you to move in that direction. But it can't just be one or the other of any of those things. Cause it, you right. really do need that balance across the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's very easy to be swayed one way or the other based on what's, what's going on in your life sometimes. And that's kind of what, um, prompted the the second book I'd actually just turned it into my editor uh the yeah just a few days ago actually (laughs) um is is just that there's a lot of reasons that as women in particular that we kind of um hit a wall sometimes and and we we do we try to do so many things and we stay so busy and we're just always trying to do more and more and more and then we wake up one day and we're like why am I doing this like I don't even like it doesn't make me it doesn't even make me happy yeah (laughs) why am I doing this so I think that that's um one thing that I left out of Fix This Next for Healthcare, that if I had to rewrite the book now, there would definitely be an intrinsic piece of like, what do I really want out of my life and where where am I going with it? Mm-hmm. Um, how do I want to feel? And that's, uh, that's really important. So I think balance is 100% uh, key. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I just um, finished writing a grant proposal and I had never been asked this question in a grant proposal before, but it said something like, um, you know, why you, why this business? And I Mm. sat there staring at this blank box for such a long time because I think I am in that place where you're talking about this struggle of why, why, I don't know why yet. Like I'm still, <laughs> for a while, I thought it was a lot of things, but now that I've gotten into all of the things that I'm doing, my that's a great question, Grant. Yeah. Thank you for asking. Let me 
let me get yeah. in there and I'll try and do some emotional work while I fill in this 300 word box <laughs> and mm-hmm. hope for the best. But yeah. I do think that there, there's something really powerful about um, making sure that we're not just thinking about moving for moving sake or money for money's sake, that we really are kind of pulling in that balance of like, this is about my worth and my time. And not just financially, but just as a human. And like, is this yeah. where I want to be spending all of that? And how do we mm-hmm. how do we move forward? Um, mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of people do take on supervisees because it's filling some of that teachery need. It's feeling mm-hmm. filling some of that like something's missing in in the way that I'm doing my work. And I'm doing a lot of good things for the, this population, but I'd like to give back in a different way or just mm-hmm. diversifying in general. And it has to fit, right? We can't just do that because we're missing something because we all know what happens when we just try and fill a need um, exactly. with something. Yeah. It never goes quite right. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And and that was that's the kind of, that's the struggle that I talk about in in this upcoming book is just that like our search, like just how our search for something, I'm just going to use air quotes for something shows up in our lives. And sometimes it means overworking and sometimes it means overfunctioning. And, um, you know, like we tell ourselves these things, like if we don't do this, if we miss this opportunity, we're never going to get another one. If we don't do it now, we're never going to, you know, we really use, um, we really use fear as, as a force, our force. And I think for me, that's, it's kind of the story of how I discovered that is for me personally, I was an over-functioning human woman um, because I was letting fear be my force. Uh, fear was like, if, if I don't do this, then I'm going to fail basically is about failure and being alone. And, um, and I, you know, there's lots of reasons for that. Therapists know that, you know, like grew up really poor and didn't really have a lot of um, um, support, you know, career wise or anything like that. But I, I think we have to ask ourselves, like, what is our driving force and what are we after? And and if all of those things are in alignment then you just have such a much better chance at success and not only success, but fulfillment. Uh-huh. And um, that was something that for years, you know, I was very successful, had lots of businesses, made lots of money, um, but it never was enough. Like I was always yeah. like searching for that next thing. And, and then I realized what that was. And it was really just um, internal, wasn't yeah. anything yeah. external. There is nothing that could fit that piece from accomplishing anything else that it really had to be there. I had a friend who was a... um, uh, Olympic gold medalist and yeah. she had worked I mean from day one of high school all the way through getting her gold medal to like accomplish this task and she mm-hmm. shared with me how she had been working with a sports psychologist after she won the gold medal to be like wait a second my life is kind of over I did the thing and I don't have yeah. anything else that can fill what I thought I was chasing here and mm-hmm. that same component is there of like there's when we when we have that hole to fill, we we seek for it in all sorts of different ways, all the way to Olympic medals, to writing books yeah. and running businesses and yeah. you know, having kids and all sorts of things. We fill our we fill our need with a lot of stuff. But mm-hmm. if we're not doing some of that internal work, it yeah, you're not mm-hmm. you're not really going to get there. Never. No. Yeah. No. 
Well, tell me a little bit about some things that you would like to plug. How would people get a hold of you? Tell me all the things. Yeah. Um, social media is a good one. Uh, we're pretty active on our social media. Um, it's just hi Casey Compton on I think Facebook and Instagram, um, website. We, if you want to get on our list, um, it's CaseyCompton.com, but our list for all the news about the upcoming book, we're going to be looking for some advanced readers. We have some really cool, um, marketing plans, Mike McCallowitz and his team, they are doing all of the marketing for this book for me. Wow. And yeah, it's, so it's going to be cool. And we are really wanting to, um, use and support therapists in, in as many ways as we can through this launch. And what, what the book is really achieving or what we're trying to achieve is to normalize therapy and mental health and share awareness to that. And so um, if you are a therapist or anyone that wants to support or get on track with the launch team, um, that would be amazing. So just go to the website, get on, get on our list and you'll, you'll get some more information about that coming up. Um, very, very, very soon. Yay. Oh my gosh. I know when I was cruising your website this morning, a pop-up came up and said like, here's all the information. And I was like, "Uh, am I a stalker if I put that in before I talk to her? No, I I think I'll wait and I'll just put it in after. So it looks like I'm, you know, doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely put that in. Um, my, it it actually is going to Mike and his team and they're, they're planning lots of cool stuff and, Um, and this book, um, I, I'm always going to be a business person at heart and I love business more than anything, but this is not a business book. Um, it is more of a creative nonfiction. It is all story, um, a lot of clinical references woven in. And so I think it will apply to lots and lots of people. So we're excited about it. Yeah. And I think that even, even more so at its core, it is a business book for people who are needing to do this level of work, right? It's not a how to make your business more profitable book. It is a how to be yourself and show up in in your world, wherever it is, including your business, right? Absolutely. Yep. That is absolutely 100% true. And I think all women business owners are going to connect with it because you get it. We all have that common denominator within us. Yeah. Yeah. I even see it in people who tell me like, no, I just want to do private practice. I don't want to grow. I don't want to do all the things that everybody says is the next step or whatever. I just want to do this. But then I see them have this like, but shouldn't there be more like (laughs) like this funky thing, right? I think it's totally going to resonate. I'm I'm so excited. Yeah, me too. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being here. And I am more than excited to share this with everybody who's out there. And all the links, of course, will be on the episode page. And um, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here and and for putting this book out and for being such an amazing advocate for therapists everywhere. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. That was a powerful episode, don't you think? Casey just completely rocks in her understanding of systems and her understanding of who we are as business owners. I just, I can't wait to talk more with her about all things uh, supervision, about all things entrepreneurial, about how to make this, um, this thing that we do in our business amazing. So your top takeaways for today, I, I got two for you. Number one, set up your system. 
take some time today, this week, regularly, put it in your calendar to go through your processes as if you're going through them for the first time. This can help you think through the bumps and bottlenecks and the holes in your process. As After you go through and fix any bumps and holes and, and bottlenecks in your process, go through again and tape it with a process like Loom, as long as it doesn't have any PHI or protected health information, so that your interns can then watch it and know what to expect as they're going through things. I like Loom a lot when I'm not doing anything with client information to be able to show them exactly where I click for things or where to find things. Um, and then they they have access to all of those through my Google Workspace uh, to be able to, to do those those pieces on their own uh, without me. That's also part of the process we talked about earlier with Google Workspace of putting things into templates or putting things into like template emails so that if they ask the question, wait, Tara, how do I, you can respond back with, here's where it is in our videos or our templates uh, so that they have easy access and don't need to ask it multiple times. The second tip I'm going to give you today is about scheduling time. Make sure that you look at your calendar and block off time for your supervisees. This can be their time for supervision, which is kind of easy to show up in your calendar, but then also time for you to read their notes, review their videos, or have time where you have to, to chat, chat with them or check in with them throughout time. So if you don't know how much time it takes to work with your supervisees every week, Take a, take a moment in this next week to do a little time study. Every time somebody asks you a question, shoots you an email, you have to read something or respond to something, take note of how much time it takes you so that you can accurately gauge how much time you need in your schedule for your supervisees. I'll tell you, mine is about three hours a supervisee. Um, part of that is the supervision I do with them. Part of that is reading their notes and things. Some of it's answering emails. Some of it's prepping for um, trainings or didactics or things that I'm doing in my schedule with them. Uh, so as I book my week with other types of projects and other types of things, if I don't book that three hours in per supervisee, my schedule gets a mess. Now, yours may not be three hours. It may be less than that. Maybe you have other folks who do the didactic schedule or take care of other bits and pieces. So it's really important to not go off of my number, but to do a time study of yours. Here's a quick pro tip. Make sure that when you figure out your number, that you write that number down on your job description, that you say, this is how much time this person is expected to take to work with their supervisees. And the real reason this is important is because you should have a job description in case you are no longer the person doing this job. If you do not have a job description, please reach out to me via email, the contact page on my website, any way you can get a hold of me. And let's talk about building you a job description so that you can build in that extra layer of this system, of this process of having supervisees in your practice. That's it for today, everybody. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. This has been Supervision Smorgasbord with Dr. Tara Sanderson. Please like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can find us at drterrasanderson.com backslash podcast and on all social media at Dr. Tara Sanderson. Thank you and we will see you next time.